Once upon a time and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and bring you back safely. So riddle me this. How many stars are there in the sky? How deep is the ocean? What does love feel like? Children ask these questions, and now we can go to Wikipedia for answers. On a clear night, you can see approximately 4,548 stars. The deepest part of the ocean is about 36,200 feet deep, or 11,033 meters for those of you outside the U.S. And love is three chemicals being released in your brain, dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin. Serotonin being one of love's most important chemicals, and one that may actually send us temporarily insane. Which is why we can read and write volumes of poetry, though never quite understand love until we feel it. But sometimes the crowdsourced answers cannot satisfy. Sometimes the questions that are asked in stories look at the deeper value of life and wonder around us. In this next story, there are questions asked that, if answered correctly, will save lives. Pam Farrow is a longtime storyteller and dear friend of mine and tells the story of Rabbi Abraham Ben Ezra and the bishop. They say that once, when the famous philosopher Rabbi Abraham Ben Ezra was sailing at sea, well, his ship was captured by pirates and they brought it to a port, took all of its cargo and sold all the passengers into slavery. Yes, even Rabbi Avraham ben Ezra. Now, this was a time and a place when slavery was a common practice among people of all faiths and traditions. And there, a Christian bishop standing in the marketplace saw Rabbi Avraham among the captives and could see that he was a Jew and thought to himself, well, the Jews are known to be a wise people, I could only benefit from having such a servant or slave in my household. And so the bishop bought him, brought Avraham back to his residence, gave him food to eat, a place to sleep, and a workload that wasn't too heavy. And indeed, even with the, the hard circumstances Rabbi Avraham found himself in, there formed a kind of mutual respect between the two men. And they would have conversations, walks, and discussions together from time to time. Well, one day, the king of that land decided to appoint someone to the position of viceroy, wishing to know if the bishop, whom he had never met, was suited for this position. The king sent to the bishop the following message. I'm going to ask you, Bishop, three questions in my presence. If you can answer them, I will make you my viceroy. If you cannot, I will have you beheaded because I have no need of fools in my kingdom. These questions are, first, in which direction does God face? Second, what is my worth. And third, what am I thinking? And there the message ended. 
Well, when the bishop had finished reading the king's letter, his mind reeled and then his, his heart sank. He did not eat or drink or, or, or sleep all that night. He, he tossed and turned. He could, he could nearly feel the, the axe man's axe coming towards his neck. He, he didn't even dream of becoming the king's viceroy. Well, in the morning, Rabbi Abraham ben Ezra saw him, saw his pale face, his drawn look, and said, My Lord Bishop, why are you looking so poorly? <laughs> what can I tell you, Jew, said the bishop? I am in a terrible, terrible predicament, most dangerous. And then he told Rabbi Abraham about the message and what he was facing. Rabbi Abraham ben Ezra stroked his beard, thought for two or three moments, and then said to the bishop, Lend me your robe, and let me answer the king for you, and I believe that you can set your mind at rest. <laughs> well, the bishop didn't know whether to, to be relieved or not, but he took off his robe, gave it to Rabbi Abraham, and sent him off with his blessing. Now, Rabbi Abraham first stopped at the marketplace on his way to the king's palace, and he bought a small crucifix for ten copper pieces and continued on to the king's palace. And there he was escorted into the king, who, thinking he was the bishop, for the king had never met the bishop or laid eyes on him, said, Well, my lord bishop, do you have the answers to my questions? Indeed I do, your majesty, said Rabbi Abraham, wearing the bishop's robes. Very well then, said the king. You can begin by answering the first question. In what direction does God face? Well, Rabbi Abraham said, first, in answering the question, may I please have a candle? And a candle was brought into him, and then he lit the candle, and Rabbi Abraham asked the king in what direction the candle was giving light. Why, you can see it for yourself, said the king. It gives light in all directions. Well, said Rabbi Abraham, God does the same, for his glory fills all of creation. Ha! Huh. Well said. Well said, said the king. Well, and now for the second question. Tell me, what is my worth? Well, said Rabbi Ben Ezra, whom the king, of course, thought was the bishop, I would have to say that your worth, my lord king, is nine copper pieces. Everyone in the king's court was enraged at this answer. They wanted to lay hands on this man who, who was so impudent to his majesty. And the king held them back, but he too was astonished and asked the man who he thought was the bishop, <laughs> How can that be? How can you say nine copper pieces 
when I have treasure houses full of gold and silver and precious stones and a kingdom with fertile fields and vineyards and no end of goods and property. (laughs) Your Majesty, said the philosopher, look at this crucifix of your God that I hold in my hand. I just bought it this morning for ten copper pieces. Can the worth of a mortal king be the same as or greater than that of his God? I could not in faith say that you were worth as much as ten copper pieces, but since we all know that kingliness is probably just below godliness, I subtracted only one and declare you to be worth nine. The king threw back his head, slapped his knees, and laughed. Well said, he said again. (laughs) This is clever. Well, now, now for my last question. Tell me, bishop, if you can, what am I thinking? Well, replied Rabbi Ben-Ezra, you're thinking, your majesty, that I am the bishop. But in fact, I am the furthest thing from him, for I am a Jew. I am a Jew who was sold by pirates into slavery, and I now stand before you. (laughs) The king was astounded, and he said, Well, it is you that I shall appoint to be my viceroy. I shall make you honored and wealthy and renowned. Your Majesty, said Rabbi Abraham ben Ezra, I have no interest in honor, in wealth, or in renown. My one request is to be allowed to return home and to be with my family. And so (laughs) the king agreed to this, gave him his freedom, showered him with gifts, and sent him home. And so it was that Rabbi Avraham ben Ezra did indeed return home safely, and he lived to write many books of learning and of poetry. Life has many ups and downs. One day you've found the apple of eternal youth and the next a giant is falling from the sky right onto your magical castle. Make sure you're covered for the twists in your story with Falling Sky Insurance and enjoy your happily ever after by being prepared for Once Upon a Time. All stories have inherent questions and it's the best questions that make the best stories. What happens when a girl in red walks into the woods? How far is it to the house of the moon, the house of the sun, the garden of the tree of life? How long does it take to wear out a pair of iron shoes? We like our stories to have all the questions answered at the end, tie it up with a neat bow and make sure that everything is satisfactory. Yet the stories themselves ask questions of us that no one else can hear. What would I do if I had to kiss a sleeping princess? Does she have a hundred-year morning breath? Is it now politically incorrect to kiss a sleeping princess to break a spell? Would it be considered assault? 
Those kinds of questions are relatively new in storytelling now that humans are learning a deeper level of respect for each other, whether the person is under a spell or not. When someone comes up and offers something that seems too good to be true, well, often it is. The devil, the trickster, the sly fox, they're all waiting for a desperate soul who might be willing to make a bargain they can twist to their benefit. If the human in the story has little kindness in their soul, they might just get the help they need. But I keep wondering, what would I do if I was offered a good deal by a handsome man in a green coat who smelled slightly of sulfur? I haven't had the chance to find out yet, so we'll have to see how the stories handle it. This next story is by Megan Hicks, a storyteller from Pennsylvania, who tells the story of Davy and the Devil. Davy hated fish. <laughs> All sorts of fish. He hated the way they looked, the way they smelled, the way they tasted, the slippery feel of them when you picked them up, the way their eyes just gaped at you, the way their mouths went open and shut gasping when you took them out of the water. Everything about them repulsed him. Davy hated fish. And it was unfortunate because Davy worked on a fishing boat. <laughs> he lived in a small village, and the only job there was for him was to all day, every day, in all weather, go out on a boat. And while his captain was safe and warm up in the cabin, he was there on the deck. And when those heavy nets would come up and drop the fish onto the deck, it was his job to take them one by one, slit their bellies open, scoop out the squishy bits, throw them overboard, chop off their heads, and throw their bodies into a barrel to be taken to market later in the day. All day, every day, scoop the fish, slit the belly, scoop the guts, chop the head, toss the body. All day, every day, Davy hated fish. And one day, he was sitting there, it was drizzling, it was cold, he was miserable, and he thought, is this what my life's going to amount to? I'm going to spend my life, I'm going to grow old doing a job anyone could do, a job I hate, and this is all my life amounts to? Well, at that moment, he looked down and he saw a huge fish lying at his feet, and for the first time in his life, he noticed, really looked at that fish, at the opalescent sheen of its body in the dim light, at the way its scales were joined together as, as if it were constructed by a master jeweler. That eye of the fish looked up at him. He would swear that eye was imploring him. He picked that fish up and started to put his knife in its belly, but he felt the fish's heartbeat against his thumb and he knew this was one fish he would not be able to kill so he put it down and he waited until he was certain that his boss the captain up there was not watching and then he scooped that fish up let it over the rail and it disappeared in a flash of silver well, Davy was mistaken about the captain. The captain had seen everything he did. The captain came storming down onto the deck. He said, I saw what you did, Davy. Now listen to me, boy. I do not spend my time and my money pulling these heavy nets out of the ocean full of fish to have my worker take the fish and put them back in the ocean where they came from. That's as good as stealing. I know your heart's not in this job. I can see it every day. So maybe you'll take comfort in this. 
Know this, Davy, that today when we dock, you step off my boat, you will never set foot on it again. You're fired. Fine, thought Davy. Fine. I don't ever have to do this again. Oh, my God, thought Davy. What have I done? What am I going to do for money? There are no jobs in our village. We're going to starve. How am I going to feed my wife? How am I going to pay my rent? But I don't ever have to do this again. But how am I going to pay my rent? Well, Davy was sitting there half sad and, and half glad and half mad, too, to tell the truth. And, and in the state of confusion, Davy forgot himself. And he did the one thing you must never do when you're on a boat in the open sea. When you are on a boat in the open sea, you must never whistle a tune. If you whistle on a boat in the open sea, you are either whistling up the wind of a killer storm or you're whistling the devil up from hell itself. Well, the boat docked that afternoon. Davy walked off onto shore, and all of a sudden, all the glad left him, and he was left with nothing but sad. He was terrified to go home. What am I going to tell my wife, he thought. What are we going to do for money? We'll be homeless. We'll starve. He, he, he was so full of confusion and worry that he wasn't even aware that someone was walking next to him on the road until this little man pulled up beside him, a little short man wearing a badly fitting suit of wool trousers and a wool jacket and leading a cow at the end of a rope. Now, if Davy hadn't been so full of worries, if his eyes hadn't been so full of tears, he might have noticed the little horns growing out from the traveler's head. As it was, Davy just looked at this little man and thought, huh, farmer. The little man comes up to Davy. He says, Davy, boy, you look like you got the weight of the world on your shoulders. Davy said, well, I feel like I got the weight of the world on my shoulders. I've lost my job. Don't know what I'm going to do for rent money for food. Don't know what I'm going to tell my wife. The man said, well, Davy, if you had this cow, your troubles would be over. <laughs> if you had this cow, ah, uh, this cow gives the richest milk in all the world, and doesn't she give it abundantly to? If you had this cow, Davy, you would be a prosperous man. Davy said, but I don't have that cow. You've got that cow. I've got nothing. <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be that way, said the old man. I've got a business proposition for you. Suppose I give you this cow for three years. You do what you can with it. At the end of three years, I come back. I pose three questions. Now, if I get the answers to my questions, you keep the cow. You live a long and prosperous life. Ah, but if I don't get the answers to my questions, Davy, well, it's over my shoulder and down to the flames of hell. What do you think? <laughs> Davy was a young man. And when you're young, three years, that's forever. When you're young, people who look like simple old farmers, what harm can they do? When you're young, you think things like, well, he's so old, even if he does remember to come back. How hard can his questions be? So there on the road that day, Davy stuck out his hand, he shook hands, he struck a deal with the devil. The devil gave him the rope, 
Davy went up the hill to his own cottage. The devil went down the hill to wherever he was going. But halfway up the hill, Davy smelled sulfur in the air. And he turned around just in time to see the devil grin, do a double backflip, and disappear in a crack that opened up in the ground. When Davy came up the hill, his wife said, Davy, what are you doing with the cow? I was expecting fish. Davy said, um, um, darling, I've, I've, I've decided to change career paths. I'm, I'm going into a different industry. Listen, listen. This cow gives the richest milk in all the world. And, and, and I was thinking, with the milk and the cream and the butter from this cow, we could open a little tea shop like we've always longed to do. Yeah, you could, you could make your beautiful pastries and bread, and I could, I could run the shop, and, and, and we, could, we could fulfill our dream. What do you think? She said, Davy, that's amazing. Look here, right here in the newspaper today, there's a little shop for rent right on the main street. And look at the price of the rent. It's almost nothing. Well, Davy and his wife opened that little shop, and it was true. That cow gave the richest milk in all the world. And with the milk and the butter and the cream from that cow, Davy's wife made the best pastries in all the world. And people came from miles around just to visit their tea shop. Before they knew it, they were running a thriving business. Before they knew it, they were happy. Before they knew it, three years had passed. On the last day of the third year, Davy had all but forgotten the terms of his arrangement on the road that day. He looked up. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, a time when usually the shop was bustling with activity, and today there were only, only one customer, just an old man finishing his tea, reading a paper over in the corner. Davy thought, well, I'll sweep up. I'll go home early today. So he got the broom, and he started sweeping the crumbs out the door. And as soon as he got to the front door, a shadow loomed through the whole tea shop in darkness. Davy looked up, and there was the devil not looking a thing like a harmless little old farmer today. He was standing at his full height. He had rubbed oil into his skin until it gleamed and shone red. That tail of his was twitching on the ground, and the barb was raising sparks on the walkway. Davy stood back, and the devil looked down, and he said, Davy, boy, I see by the look on your face. (laughs) Yes, you remember the terms of our agreement. You were to keep the cow for three years and do what you could with it. And I must say, Davy, you have done wonders. Good job. Well, now, (laughs) for the rest of the bargain, I pose my three questions. You give me my answers. You keep the cow. You live a long and prosperous life. But if you fail to answer my questions, Davy, over my shoulder and down to the flames of hell with you, so... Are you ready to begin? Now, before Davy could answer, the old man, finishing his tea in the corner, looked up and he said, Yes, he is ready. And that was your first question, sir. (laughs) Now, this intrusion threw the devil off his stride. It irritated him. He looked at that old man. He looked at Davy. He looked at that old man. He looked at Davy. He said, Davy, will you tell that old coot to butt out of our business and leave us alone? 
And before Davy answered, he winked at the old man. He looked up at the devil. He said, no, I won't. And that was your second question. <laughs> now the old man said, well played, Davy. Well played. I knew you were a bright lad. This infuriated the devil. He stomped over to the table. He loomed over the old man. And he roared out just, who the hell do you think you are anyway? The old man stood up and up and up and up and up till he was eyeball to eyeball with the devil. He took his hat off and silver hair flowed down to the ground. And he said, I am the king of the fishes. Three years ago, this young man showed me mercy. He gave me my life. I've returned today to repay the favor. That was your third question, sir. So back to the flames of hell with you. Leave this boy alone. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show notes and more information about the storytellers you heard today can be found at storystorypodcast.com forward slash episode seven. Show the love. Find Megan and Pam on Facebook. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. Do you like what you're hearing? Would you like a little bit more? As a supporter of the podcast, you can get an extra story per podcast and behind the scenes news. The bonus story for this podcast is When the Cat Came to Muhammad by Pam Farrow, which is a favorite of mine that I've heard her tell. You can become a monthly sponsor for as little as $4 through Patreon, and that will help keep the stories coming. Or you're welcome to do a one-time donation. Both options are found at storystorypodcast.com and will help the podcast grow from a little sprout into a worldwide audience. If you'd like to stay connected or offer feedback, you can find me and the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or join the mailing list. You can leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or however else you listen to your podcasts. This helps other people find stories, and it is so appreciated. Let us know your favorite story that you heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. I'll be back again with stories. I hope you'll join me, and until then... Live happily ever after.